Directed by David Bruckner and streaming now on Hulu. The film stars Odessia Ajian and Jamie Clayton. And it's getting a little bit of heat right now. It's getting a little bit of interest because of its casting of Jamie Clayton, who is a trans woman who's playing Pinhead. And it's the 11th film in the Hellraiser series, which began in 1987 with Clive Barker's Hellraiser. And it is wild to me that there are 11 movies in this series because there really should be one movie in this series. And uh, that's a point I want to expand on. So like the 1987 movie Hellraiser, the 2022 movie is just called Hellraiser, but it's not a remake. It's just called Hellraiser in the sense it doesn't have a subtitle. Like all the other hellraiser movies i believe have some kind of subtitle like hellraiser 2 hell on earth or something like that and the new one it's just called hellraiser but it's not a remake it's a it's really a sequel i it doesn't tell the same story as the original it kind i think it kind of expects you to have seen the other hellraiser movies or have some kind of base level familiarity with the hellraiser series i mean there's nothing in there that you'd be lost if this is the first hellraiser movie you saw but at the same time you know, that it's just playing to your expectations of watching a Hellraiser movie. And in terms of being a Hellraiser sequel, uh, it's probably one of the better ones. Might be even the second best one. But it's still not a great movie, I gotta say. I mean, it's a very 2022 on a streaming service movie. It's too long. Like, the original Hellraiser is 90 minutes, or maybe less. Maybe even just like 89 minutes. It's a tight little uh, story. This this one's like two hours long, and it's not economical in its storytelling because it can't be because it understands its audience. Like it knows that people are going to be only half paying attention to it for the most part. Like you know, their their attention will be divided between like their phone and whatever laptop or smart TV is playing uh, Hellraiser this movie, and so you can't do too much visual storytelling because people would miss it because they're not watching it or they're not guaranteed to be watching it. And there's moments of visual storytelling and uh, you can't do anything really too subtle uh, or, you know, you have to, you have to tell, you can't show, you got to say stuff. So there's a conversation towards the beginning, this whole scene, like this domestic scene where it lays out all the characters and their relationship and their traits very overtly. And I almost turned it off. Uh, at that point um and then it kept repeating that and there's you know a lot of uh a lot of sort of expositional stuff so it's the odessa ajian she plays like a drug addict a recovering drug addict or who seems to maybe be struggling with her addiction and maybe slipping back into it and um she lives with uh her brother i believe who's this gay dude oh yeah that was another thing about the movie that was getting some heat allegedly uh from woke you know for it's kind of like people allegedly is being criticized for wokeness <laughs> because it had a, a, a gay couple in it 
but also people thought they were hot. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but first I want to just kind of capitulate. You're just sort of not capitulate. I just want to sort of lay out the plot. So she's this, uh, Adesia Jean is this uh, drug addict, and um, she's this boyfriend that she met in some kind of recovery program. Uh, some, and she's trying struggling with her addiction. The boyfriend um, tells her about this opportunity to steal this stuff from uh, that's owned by this rich guy. Uh, the first scene in the movie, I think, is you see this like rich guy in a mansion. It looks like I, th- I thought it was a French. It looks like a French um, country estate, you know. But then they say the Berkshires. I'm like, oh, the Berkshires. That's weird. Why do you just say that it's in France? Uh, it looks so French. So this rich guy who has been, you know, has some, um, who's been doing Hellraiser stuff, and you know, this guy's trying to get uh, the girl to. The guy tells her, tells her about like this thing they can steal. So they steal it. They find the puzzle box. She opens it up. The Cenobites come. Um, and the the big addition to this movie regarding the Cenobites and the puzzle box and all the Hellraiser stuff is that now the puzzle box, when you solve it, it's, it <clears throat> ejects a little blade and cuts you. So then the blood goes into it. Uh, it's like, all right, whatever. I, I thought that was unnecessary. Uh, so, I mean, it kind of, so it, it becomes a plot device because the girl, uh, Odessa, she solves the puzzle box, then drops it because she's in a kind of a drug stupor. And then uh, the blade comes out, doesn't cut anybody. And then later when uh, her brother, the, 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 the straight as narrow gay guy, picks up the um, picks up the thing, like the blade comes out, and then he gets cenobited and sent into the S&M hell world. And then it turns out that, hey, that rich guy who's all obsessed with um, Hellraiser stuff, he's still alive. You know, you thought he died in the first movie, but he's, uh, first scene rather, but he's alive. And uh, the Cenobites in, put some <laughs> clockwork torture device through the center of his body. And so it, it keeps him in excruciating pain all the time. All right. So they, they have kind of, and then it turns out that the guy that she met in rehab, it's been her boyfriend the whole time, has been manipulating her and really trying to, he's been working with his rich guy and trying to get her to sacrifice all her friends, which they ultimately do. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of, that was the best storytelling thing because her the way they intro him and her in the beginning, the first scene is them having sex and you show her being kind of a hedonist, uh, a little bit, you know, like a little bit of a liberty. Like you show her enjoying sex and she says like, like someone like that's it do it harder i love it and then he says something like i love you and then she's like awkward you know that's they stop having sex uh and at first it seems like she seems like uh, a little bit heartless or something like she doesn't you know because this guy says that she loves him and then she basically boots him out of the of her apartment and uh then it you know, but then you realize later he was manipulating her. So it becomes like a nice little turn. And she was, you know, her, she just picked up the right vibe. This guy was coming on way too strong and, you know, trying to get her to feel manipulative, trying to get her to feel feelings that she wasn't feeling. All right. So the movie is too long. It's boring. It's too much chatter. Very little of it is effective. But the special effects are okay. The Cenobite monsters, they, they look very striking. But... Um, you run up against this thing is that so they're infinitely powerful and whenever 
like Pinhead and the Cenobites or the monsters from the S&M world, whatever, S&M hell world, whenever they show up, it's like they, um, you're helpless. You're dead. You can't do anything. Uh, the chain, they have chains and they're going to rip you up and torture you. You can't escape. So there's zero suspense and they show up in a kind of an ethereal way. They never really like pop up behind you. So you're never like, <gasps> there's never that jump scare shock moment. And there's never like they're chasing you and you think you can escape because they show up and it's inevitable. So it's kind of like, <laughs> so the things that are supposed to happen, like the bump and grind of a horror movie are not possible with this milieu with the, with these characters right and i want to point out that odessia Ajian, i liked her a lot in this movie she had a great look like she looked like a real person and this really great natural screen presence and uh she had a lot of charisma uh and i thought she was great and i'd love to see her in a better movie jamie clayton uh the trans woman playing pinhead uh she was fine. I think that she was buried under makeup and costumery, and I really couldn't get a sense of whether she was a good, good at this or not. She seemed fine. Like you know, you could have like you could have like a plaster cast of uh, Pinhead, and it you know like whatever. The movie was directed by this guy David Bruckner, and he had dire- previously directed a movie I liked called Nighthouse, which starred Rebecca Hall as uh, this like. The best part of that movie is that is Rebecca Hall's performance. It's like a horror movie, um, and it's probably not a good sign, but I can't remember the plot of it. The only thing I remember is Rebecca Hall's performance, and I saw this movie like six months ago, not that long. Um, there's one effective visual scene in it, but there's not a lot of visual flair. Uh, and the coolest thing, Rebecca Hall just plays like this grieving widow who just is drunk all the time and mad and being a bitch. And it's really fun because it's not like, you know, she's not uh, falling apart because of her grief. She's really mad and like she's angry and it's fun, makes a fun performance. Um, and the story, I, I don't know, like somehow like her, her husband was killing a lot of ladies, but he's trying to save her. I don't know. Like it didn't, it, the, the thing that I retained from it was her performance. So it's similar like in this, because there's not a lot of the visuals are not great, honestly. It's there's no elegance to it. Like the the special effects are fine, but a lot of it's too dark. And I was watching it on my laptop, and I was able to like turn the brightness up all the way. And even then, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like the screen is mostly dark, which happens a lot, you know. And uh, which happens a lot in modern cinematography. But again, he's able to elicit a great performance from a female lead, uh, like Rebecca Hall and now Adesha Um The the Cenobites were fine. There's one very effective, disturbing scene uh, where Pinhead takes out... Turns out Pinhead can take out um, those pins. <laughs> At least the new Pinhead can. Uh, so Pinhead takes out the pins and uh, sticks it in somebody's ear. And you get a real close-up into the inside of the ear it just seems it's excruciating i was like ah so that's what they can do effectively is they can kind of test your ability to your squeamishness you know um so that's enough about that movie it's okay it's good enough uh if you're looking for like a movie to watch on streaming services this halloween it's okay you can it's you know what uh the the most apples to apples comparison i can make would be to the uh, remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is on Netflix. It came out, uh, I think, in April of this year. This one's a lot better. 
right? This one's just a lot better. It's a better. It, there's more care made into it and better performances. And even though I obviously have some criticisms of it, uh, it's just a better movie overall. Um, but now let's talk about uh, the Hellraiser series as a whole. And what's interesting to me about the Hellraiser series uh, in a lot of ways. Oh, the other thing I want to say is that um, the last thing I'm going to say about <laughs> this movie is a little trifling, little dumb little point um, is that they show that the girl is a, the main girl is a um, drug addict and they show her like with this little um, like locket full of pills. And you don't need like full verisimilitude about drug use in a horror movie, but it's like, I don't, you know, did you, I don't think drug addicts take pills anymore. I think if I mean they they ingest them, but they don't like just eat them. They you know you grind them up and snort them, or you uh, fucking uh, shoot them up and stuff like that. It takes too long when you eat them. Everybody knows that. Um, I guess except for these people, the people who made Hellraiser. Anyway, so last summer, uh, for one reason or another, I read the novella that the original um, Hellraiser was based on. And so it's called A Hellbound Heart. It's written by Clive Barker. And I want to talk about that. But first, my last thought on the movie. I know I already said I had a last thought. But just generally, so the the movie allegedly has this, like, um, there's been an anti-woke backlash to it. I think I saw, like, I saw people referencing it because there's, like, not only a female pinhead, but a trans female pinhead. And... I couldn't find any evidence of people being mad about it. Like, oh, they made Pit out of trans women. Yeah, I never found that. I found a lot of people defending it. And I found a lot of people like, oh, and also the gay couple that's in it. I found a lot of people like saying that the gay couple were hot. This is when I, I just looked through Twitter. I went through like the Hellraiser hashtag a couple of days ago. And, uh, and they were like, hey, haters, you know, the new Hellraiser's great. Stop, you know, stop, uh, being haters or racist or homophobes or transphobes or whatever. Uh, so I didn't see any evidence of people being transphobes or homophobes. Maybe it's out there, but I'm wondering how manufactured that is. But that's not super important. What is important, and I think kind of sh- says something about the appeal of the Hellraiser series as a whole, is how uh, many people are horny for Pinhead when I was going through... Um, when I was going through this hashtag, not for like old school pinhead, like the original pinhead who was played by Doug Bradley in the first um, 10 movies. Uh, they love lady pinhead. People are really horny for lady pinhead. So you, if you go, this might not be true anymore, but if you look up Hellraiser on Twitter, and also this might be like my algorithm, because maybe like Twitter thinks I'm a sex pervert for some reason. Um, so if, when I looked up Hellraiser that I saw a lot of, uh, illustrations and cosplay of very pale bald women with enormous breasts that were uh in you know shiny uh, leather s&m gear and looks like pinhead like female like bimbo fied pinhead very popular and uh or naked pinhead like illustrations of naked pin naked girl pinhead um and and in one in one notable instance she was like uh it seemed to be like uh, on the verge of embracing male pinhead. So it's going to be pinhead coitus, pin cushion coitus. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I this movie, I think people, are, the, the appeal of the Hellraiser thing 
is so Clive Barker, he was uh, who wrote and directed. He wrote the original source novella. He also wrote and directed the film, the original 1987 movie Hellraiser. Uh, and he is a really interesting guy because he was like in the 80s. He was the newer kind of, I don't know, cyberpunk, but the, this new sensation of horror authors. Right. Like, whereas like uh, in the 70s, uh, in the early 80s, and probably, you know, whatever, uh, Stephen King, he was a new Stephen King. But unlike, you know, Stephen King, who was, uh, you know, from this a married man, uh, a very with a face like a brick, <laughs> he's like a very middle class kind of kind of guy from Maine, like despite all of his like drug use and stuff. He's a very middle class guy. uh very straight middle-class man. And then Clive Barker was a former gay hustler. And by hustler, I mean prostitute. He's a gay dude uh, and a gay hus and a former like sex worker. Right. And part of his, um, part of the inspiration for the Hellbound Heart, which later became uh, the Hellraiser film series was his experiences as a sex worker going to, um, to an S and M club called cell block, 13 maybe uh it was in new york and he and it was like extreme snm uh where people would like get pierced uh at the club and they're like blood splattering all over the place and they wouldn't even serve any alcohol or uh and they didn't permit any drug use because they were afraid it would be shut down because of the extremeness of the uh snm stuff and they didn't want to you know give the give the authorities uh, any excuse to to stop it right and so this extreme snm stuff where it is by blood and pain and stuff but people like it you know there's certain people like this stuff right uh and also the 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 way you dress around it uh you know you so yeah like patent leather and stuff and that's very evocative for a lot of people it's very like titillating and stuff um so yeah there's sex baked into the the whole thing right and um in the original novella uh so frank it's four characters right and the main guy is this libertine guy named frank um well i mean the main bad guys libertine guy named frank so he's like this libertine hedonist guy and he is searching he has just burned out all of his uh you know burned out all his pleasure receptors like he's been essentialist and like tasted all of you know earth's stuff and he's tired of it and he you know he just wants he needs the next thing you know he needs the next level of intensity which is always a scary position for somebody to be in you know because really it's sort of like maybe you should just take a deep breath and have a rest buddy and drink some water and maybe enter into a quieter part of your life but no you know, you got to take more crystal meth and, you know, have people jam stuff into your uh, private parts and whatnot. Uh, so he's a, this Frank is a hedonistic libertine and hunts down and opens the magic box, which is called the Lamarchand configuration, I believe, because he thinks it's like a magic sex drug thing and that he it's going to be like bring him to this next level of pleasure. But and so these weird magic alien sex monsters appear, and they don't differentiate between pleasure and pain, and that was his fatal miscalculation. <laughs> well, Frank, uh, so they bring him to this like 
place. And at first he's like kind of into it, but then, you know, he gets that, like, it goes over the line and they don't have safe words. So, um, he can't make it stop. And they're just, and he's unique. And like, they're just like really into sort of torturing him, uh, bring you know? And so he, he, he doesn't like it. He regrets this, you know, this thing is supposed to go on forever. He's trapped there forever. But then he figures out a way to escape. And it's a, uh, it involves like bodily fluids and stuff. And it's kind of gross. I'm not going to detail it right now, but so he escapes the, the S and M torture world, um, which we don't get a ton of details about, which is good. Right. And then he, then there's the second character we just, we're going to, discuss a woman named julia now julia is married to a man named rory rory is frank's brother um and it's a new marriage and right before the they got married uh julia met and had a brief torrid affair with frank and now she's ride or die for frank so frank figures out a way to escape the hell world and finds julia because he, he did this stuff at his pair like his ancestral estate or something or his parents house which was at that time empty but now rory and julia are going to move into it and refurbish it and so then he comes back and he's a desiccated corpse and he manipulates julia to murdering men uh so he can uh come back to life as a you know get a full body i think that again the details are a little bit vague on on how that works which is again good um so she kills a bunch of dudes to help frank but uh so then she's married to Rory and trying to keep up appearances to a degree, but, and Rory just want, you know, she, he's just like a boring guy who loves his new wife, but he has an ad, a, adult or a teenage daughter named Kirsty, and she doesn't trust Julia for, you know, she's right. She's correct not to trust her. So you have these four characters um, and you all know, and they're, they're very tightly knit in their relationships and you know, everything that they want and you know what they think of each other and what they how they are motivated and what they want from each other, right? And so, like, Kirsty wants to protect Rory. Rory wants Julia, just to have a normal love stuff. Julia wants Frank, and Frank wants to escape the freaky S&M torture world. And then, so you have the fifth sort of, I guess, characters, but, you know, the, the S&M torture monsters, which are just called Cenobites, uh, you never, they never in the book say, in the novella say, uh, Pinhead, um, he might just be called the engineer, uh, or he might not be referred to by any name other than the head Cenobite or something like that. Um, and they want Frank back or they, well, I think they don't know that he's escaped. Right. So then Kirsty, uh, she opens the, she finds the puzzle box and does the puzzle box and opens it. And unlike Frank, who had to seek it out, and he kind of had an inkling of what it was supposed to mean, even though his assumptions were incorrect. She just thought it was a puzzle box, and then the Cenobites show up, and they're like, well, you did it by accident, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and so there's this interest, it's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, first of all, it's of, I think of all the horror franchises, it's the most like writerly or most literary in a way, um, because it's really about characters it's like you have these four characters and again you know simple motivation like it'd almost be a play you know like you don't need too many special effects to tell this story you can tell the story you know uh you know if you just i guess you'd have to have frank in like a some because he's comes back as a corpse or whatever so he'd have to and he you know becomes more human as the story goes on um but 
so you have these four characters and you understand all their motivations and that's completely unlike uh it's well it's not completely unlike, but it's in stark contrast to most horror movies because the point of most horror movies is not to present characters and motivations and whatever it's to uh create fright and suspense and whatever and so the characters are just grist for the meat grinder you know meat for the grinder um grist for the mill meat for the grinder uh and and so like that's why characters in horror movies can be really boring and annoying because um, it could just be characters that are going to be killed off but that's also what makes horror movies kind of interesting because um people characters can be killed off pretty quickly and you know, you can defy expectations and so forth. So you're a little bit less certain about what's going to happen in a movie. And, you know, like the person that you thought was going to be the hero, they could die like in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And they're like, whoa, or somebody's set up to do something heroic for the whole movie. Like they might just fail. You know, it's not uh, other other movies. You know, that generally doesn't happen. So that's what makes them interesting, but also kind of. The, the flaw is that you can't make these... You can't really have super rich characters. Well, you can't... You don't really have super rich characters. Not that you can't, but generally you don't have super rich characters or, stor- or like stories in horror movies. Because it's all about, like, this bump and grind, like a stripper, you know, because you gotta... Like an old school stripper. Because you gotta do these things to get, you know, a pop from the crowd. So, you know, you gotta, like, kind of have some kind of suspense or something frightening or... Uh, or you know you gotta lull people into some into a sense of security and then shock them, you know. So it's not like you don't do that with a story necessarily, you know. Uh, like if you know, so you have to. So the characters all have to serve this function, right? So if you're watching like Friday the Thirteenth, like you can have some characters that might be a little bit interesting, but it's not the point. The point is that they're you know gonna it's gonna something from Jason's point of view and it's either going to be gruesome or it's going to be like, will they escape? And you're nail biting or whatever. Um, that's not true in, in Hellraiser. And even in like horror, horror franchises that I like quite a bit, like, you know, I love uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love Phantasm and Phantasm, uh, which I discussed with Jim Kniffle on my last episode, I believe that's just a weird story, very ambitious and strange and very inventive, but it's also like the characters are, you know, they're, they're cool and stuff, but they're not, that's not the main point of, of what it's doing there. Whereas in Hellraiser it is, uh, cause it's based on a novella and it's a, you know, these four characters and how do they relate to each other? And Clive Barker is actually a very good writer as it turns out. I read, I haven't read a bunch of his stuff. I read a bunch, uh, several of his short stories. I read that novella. Um, I heard Weave World is a good novel. I'm looking forward to reading that. It might be something I jump on next or soon. And so then he makes them, he directs the movie. It's a very close adaptation. It hews very closely to the story, uh, which maybe they would not have done otherwise, you know, if somebody else had directed it. And that was why he directed it, I think. Earlier adaptations of his work had kind of strayed from the story and he wanted to keep it like that so the first movie is this uniquely rich story and character study right and but also it's visually striking like there's stuff that you know like when frank is a corpse he's just a blood man like you know just like he just looks crazy like the spe- the special effects in it are great and there's a scene where he's like smoking a cigarette and it's wild and he gets to say jesus wept <laughs> when he gets torn apart even like and it's 
it was dubbed over because there's all this, uh, English act actors. They dubbed it over the American voices, which kind of makes it seem even more um, dreamlike, you know, in a way. It, it helps the movie, I think. But uh, and then you have this undercurrent of sex, you know, sex and danger and whatever. So I think that really the maybe the misstep that they made with the new Hellraiser movies, they they really should have made it all about sex and 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 fucking and uh really play you know drive more into this uh libidinal interest in in girl pinhead or lady pinhead and they have like half a good metaphor with uh Odessiagian's character playing a drug addict because you know it's that's there's sort of a parallel there with addiction but you understand the appeal of of doing the puzzle box and being like engaging with the Cenobites, you understand like, like why Frank would do that in the first one. They show it like he's a hedonist and he's a pleasure seeker, and they argue. There's a he he makes a very effective argument for why Frank would do this, and then in the the new one, uh, you're like they're like the millionaire. He has this thing. They add on all this lore about the hell world and the puzzle box and whatever. And they've done that in every sequel, and it's never been interesting, honestly. You don't need to know too much about the Cenobites and their world and wherever they come from, because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Are these, like, gods? Are they, like, the main force in this in our universe? And what does that mean for who we are in our regular day-to-day stuff? Like, there's not a satisfactory answer for that, in a way, you know? Because, and why do they want to do this? Like, why... why it provokes more questions than it answers and it's not and the answers are not satisfactory and the questions are not that intriguing and it's like all right i don't know whatever who why are you doing this who are you you know and it strays from this the tightly knit characters and that tight story and that framing and everything the best thing they, that they could do going forward is keep this keep Odessia on but maybe just say she's a different character have her be kind of the bad guy a little bit, because that would be interesting. And have her be like, well, I'm really into substance abuse and uh, fucking and whatever. And, you know, I also like his S&M stuff. And now, oh, I hear there's this box and I can go. It'll be even better than the, yeah, the movie. And then, but then like maybe more like start, like, why not? Like show it be like kind of appealing and good and really get, because I, I think that's, that's a really intriguing thing about it too, is that this idea of, not being able to tell the difference between pleasure and pain. I'm not an S&M practitioner. <laughs> never have been, never will be. That's my cinema death cult promise. And I don't get it, but I'm kind of I'm, I find that interesting that pain could be somehow involved with, in pleasure. I guess I don't know. Like that's an interesting idea to explore in a scary way. So it's only in the first one that they dwell at all on the pleasure part and the rest of it's all pain so like what i was saying before about it being like half a good metaphor it's sort of like doing crystal math once and immediately like you know you're totally addicted and it ruins your life and it was never fun you know so that's this thing <laughs> i think if they show it being like fun or pleasurable a little bit that might be an interesting way to go uh but who knows who knows if they're going to make another another one uh, they probably will, though, because this is the 11th movie, and, the, and you'd think that it was like, it was not a dormant franchise, particularly. The last one before this was made in 2018, so there's only a four-year gap before they reimagine this whole thing. And now, um, maybe they'll take note of the social media reaction and do it. So I'd say, uh, just as a review, 
I'd say return to the first one. It's a low, very low budget movie. It's like made for a million dollars, but, uh, and, and by a, uh, novice filmmaker who, um, got pretty lucky with everything, honestly. Uh, and you know, if you grade it on a scale and you think about it as a story, yeah, it's probably, you know, I mean, that's when it becomes really interesting and noteworthy. So the new one is okay. You can watch it. I'd say go back. I urge you to watch the first one if you haven't seen it. Uh, and skip all the sequels. <laughs> oh, read the book. The book is really good. The novella is terrific. I got a new respect for the whole um, whole enterprise from reading the original thing. Anyway, thanks as always for listening to me. And uh, happy Halloween.